What's up, principals, and welcome to the Principal Crew Podcast. My name is Adam. Welcome. I'm a principal. I'm your host, and this is the podcast that is all about principles all of the time because that is what we do. Today on the show, I have an absolutely amazing principal as my guest. She's been on national talk shows and everything and is just doing amazing stuff at her school, and I'm so excited to talk to her. Belinda George, welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you, Adam? How are you? Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited. Yeah, you bet. Well, I'm doing great. You're in Texas where there is this huge cold storm ice and everything going on. So um, my thoughts are with you that everybody in Texas is uh, staying as safe and as warm as they can. I know that y'all have a lot going on. I think school is canceled. So uh, my thoughts are definitely with you all down in Texas. Yes, we're actually virtual. Um, we're actually virtual right now because of water pressure. Yeah, I saw people were like uh, boiling snow for water. So uh, yeah, it's an interesting situation. Hey, Belinda, for the people that don't know who you are, tell us who you are. Tell us where you work. Just kind of give us the give us the lowdown of uh, of Belinda George. I'm probably the happiest, most proudest principal ever. <laughs> I'm a principal at an elementary school called Homer Drive Elementary in Beaumont, Texas. Uh, I have pre-K through fifth grade. Um, I pride myself on culture and climate. Um, I have a very happy staff, as happy as teachers can be during a pandemic. Um, I also started Tucked In Tuesday about two years ago where I read to kids uh, online using Facebook. And it's become kind of part of my life for Tuesday. So that's a little bit. I'm married, no kids. I have a pet turtle. That's basically me in a nutshell. I love it. Your pet turtle. That is a, that's awesome. No, I'm, I'm curious. What makes you so happy? I mean, I'm with you. Like I'm an elementary school principal as well too. But what, what part of the job makes you the happiest? The smiles, uh, I've learned to understand smiles with eyes, um, but it is just the idea of kids when they come up to school and they're screaming, Dr. George, as if they didn't see me the day before. Um, that part of, of education, I absolutely love that no matter where they come from and no matter what they're involved with, no matter what their environment, their background is, when they come to school, that feeling that they're safe, that is the most, that is probably the best part of my job. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'll be honest, there are days that I wake up and I may not necessarily want to go to work, but the moment that I get to school and I see a teacher and more important, I mean, I see a student, I just, it, it, something changes in me and it clicks and I, I'm like instantly rejuvenated and excited to, to be with kids because we, we get to do this job. It is, uh, it's the best job in the world. Um, I'm going to get to uh, Tucked In Tuesdays, but I want to know what is your advice for other people that are trying to become a principal? That is a question that I get all the time. And people want to know, like, what was our path? What was your path? What are some things that I can do? So can you talk about your path and any advice you would have aspiring principals? Yes, so I like to call myself the principal that almost never was because I applied and I applied <laughs> and I didn't get a job and 
I just kept not didn't understand why, but it was all because of timing. It's nothing else short of timing. Um, but my advice to anyone wanting to become a principal is understanding that your schedule is no longer yours. It's everybody else's. And so you have to be really flexible. Like we don't work. I don't work 7.30 to 4. If my teacher needs me at 11, I'm going to take their call. I'm going to answer. Um, I do have boundaries, but there is a, you have to have some kind of relationship where they feel comfortable coming to you rather than going to people outside. And then they perceive you a different way because of how that person is feeling in the moment. I'd rather talk to an angry teacher for three minutes and let them fuss, holler, scream, cry, give me resignation papers rather than go out in the community and talk. And normally just listening helps. So that's the first thing. The second one is your, I, when I first started as principal, I poured everything into my kids uh, at the school. I poured everything into them. And it wasn't until the pandemic that I saw the tiredness in my teacher's eyes. And um, that was hard for me. And so I started pouring into my teachers and I saw a culture shift because I was trying to make them understand how I felt about kids and how I saw kids, but I couldn't do that until I showed them the same attention and love I was showing the kids. And so in the midst of the pandemic, I became closer to my teachers. We started doing more things to appreciate them. And it didn't, it wasn't always monetary, but letting them know I cared that there, the kids didn't come first. It was a, I had to teach them what I wanted what I expected from them. So I had to pour into them so they could pour into the kids and everything worked out. Once I started doing that, everything I kept saying, you got to do this with the kids, it happened naturally. And so that's one thing. Another thing I would tell them, another thing is um, you have your family to keep that my weekends are my weekends, especially Saturday. I have that time for myself. I don't hang with my teachers. I don't go to events with my teachers unless it's a staff. Um, event because what happens is um, when you start doing that you kind of form little cliques and relationships and it puts a strain on your school even though you may not think it so that's one thing um, that I would strongly suggest is just keeping those things professional so that your teachers feel like when you uh, when they have a moment they can come to you and it's not a friendship thing if that makes sense uh, it's still professional and I would say one more, Adam, if I could add one more, it would be to grow the people that are underneath you uh, and never be silent to the people above you. Um, continue to be an advocate because you're leaving the classroom, but continue being an advocate for teachers um, because that your noise sometimes can change things. Do it professionally, but be, uh, yeah, be a voice for those under you and and, and encourage them, you know, when they want to say something, even if you know the answer is no, still advocate for educators. That's what I have. Uh, yeah, I could not agree more, Belinda, in empowering the people around you so you're not the only one decisions. I always say that I feel teachers deserve to not be the only teacher in the classroom. And I think principals deserve to not be the only leader in a building. And you got to empower the people around you. So you're doing the work collectively. Now, I want to know, what are you doing for yourself? 
uh, you know, the principal job is it can be, you know, there's not like these certain hours, things come up on the weekend and at night, you got to take a phone call or answer an email, but sh- shutting it down, you know, stepping away. What are some strategies that you do, Belinda, to make sure that you do have some barriers? So you do have some semblance of, of balance from personal to professional. So I am a naturally happy person all the time. I'm always on cloud nine. With some people have to take things to make them this way. I'm just naturally always like that. Um, TikToks. TikTok has been my big, and I, I do my <laughs> own TikToks. I just dance and it's just a minute long of me dancing or reciting something and my kids follow me on TikTok. So it's family friendly. It's one thing that I do. I also, if I've had a bad day and I can't give positive energy out, what I'll do is just tell my admin team, I'm unplugging. That means I'm not gonna respond to them, no one else. And so they know that I'm not in a good place. And if I can't say anything good, I don't wanna say anything at all. So I do unplug. That means I don't check my email. That means I don't answer my phone. I just take time out for me. I also, uh, for the first time ever, I took two personal days and we rented an Airbnb in Arkansas in the middle of the woods with no internet. And it was really nice, but I needed that time for myself. And uh, there was some guilt going in, but in the process of being out there, that guilt left. You know, we have this thing called principal guilt. We're not supposed to take days off. We're not supposed to do things. And so that's one thing that I've learned to, to re- and my staff will remind me, Dr. George, you need to take a day. You need to go home. They'll tell me. And so they remind me of that sometimes. Another thing that I do is when I'm at home, I am in my comfort zone. Work, if work comes home with me, there's a set spot where I work. I don't move it all the way around the house and that spot is only for work. And I don't go to that spot unless I'm working. And that helps me a lot as well. And then just having a spouse that tells you that's enough. That's enough. Our friends or whoever telling you that's enough. That helps. So that's what I do to keep the balance. Yeah. You got to have those people in your life that keep you in check. So they're like Belinda, Adam, everybody else. It's Time to put your, my kids, my own children are those people sometimes where they say, dad, you're on your phone too much, put it down. And you know what, put your phone away, put it in a drawer, put it on airplane mode. So you can still use it as a camera if you want, because most of our phones are, uh, are really good cameras, but you got to separate the two. I cannot agree more. So um, let's talk about books, Belinda. What is the leadership book that you have read that has really changed you as a leader or maybe the book that you recommend to other leaders that they read to kind of change their perspective on leadership? The book that changed my life. Always, I was always a good person, but not necessarily a good leader. I think sometimes administrators get that misconstrued. Um, because it's totally two different things. Um, Brene Brown, Dare to Lead, was a book that made me look at myself so differently, and it allowed me to be more vulnerable with my staff, and if I didn't like something that was being implemented, it was okay to say it, but we're still going to get it done, but it's okay to not like things that you're, you're made to do in education, 
We're going to discuss it and then we're going to move on. So that book is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. And I do advise people to listen to the audit, the auditory uh, vision, the auditory vision, <laughs> the, um, the auditory version. The audio book. Yes, the audio book. Thank yeah. you. The audio book instead of reading it because you hear it in her voice and you hear the things that she struggled with. And it's like, my goodness. So I even listen to her on podcast now. But that is the book. Yeah, I have to admit that is the most talked about book on this podcast and Dare to Lead has been on my nightstand for over a year and a half and I have not got a chance to read it yet. So I'm moving it to the top of the, of the stack so I can read it next. Now let's talk about picture books. Uh, I know Tucked In Tuesday is a very important part of your life as a principal. If you could choose one picture book what is your favorite picture book to read with kids um read by michael hall still all of the books that i've read that was the first book that i read on tucked in tuesdays and it's about a red crayon born in a blue wrapper so the wrapper says blue but it's a red crayon and so when a kid comes in and people don't like them or mom is saying well, I don't want you to play basketball. And they want to just, I don't want to play basketball. You know, I want to play football or whatever it is. That is my go-to book. It stays on my desk. Um, and it just tells people to, it just teaches people to accept them the way they are, uh, the way they are, don't change them. And I had my idea of what I thought the book was, but I got the pleasure of meeting uh, Michael Hall via internet, of course. And he explained to me that he was dyslexic. And everything in the book is that was from his dad, things that his dad said to him and things that his dad did to make him feel like he had to be a blue crayon when he really wasn't. He was red. There was nothing he could do to change it. And so you have to accept the, the exterior that you have, you know, and that book is my favorite. A lot of lessons, a lot of lessons in that book. I don't know that book, but I'm going to go on Amazon right after this podcast to, um, to buy it. So I love adding children's books to, my, uh, to the pile on my desk. Now, I think a lot of times, and I think it's been amplified during this pandemic, I think people that maybe aren't parents that don't have kids in school just don't maybe understand what happens in a school and the resource we need and the time and the energy and everything that principals and teachers do. And if you had 25 community members that maybe didn't have kids in school and they came by your school and you were giving them a tour and you were talking about your school and your teachers and education, what would you want them to know uh, about your school and about education in general? Um, my business partners, I actually do that. I bring them on a tour because we're an F campus. And in Texas, you're rated uh, by the state assessment. And according to that, we're an F campus. And I wasn't okay with that. And then I realized that a lot of the kids, uh, they just couldn't do it. It's, it's nothing we can do about it. But if they were coming, if when people come into my school, I want them to see that kids are happy Teachers are happy to teach the kids, um, that the teachers are supported, the kids feel safe. Um, also, not hiding, you don't hide the, the bad things. I, I'd say bad with uh, air quotations, because sometimes we want people to only see the good, 
but the people that are close and invested in my school, they have to know um, what behind the scenes, like what it looks like behind the scenes. For example, one of our business partners, I gave him a star test. He had never saw it. He's in real estate. So he had never saw the star test. And I gave it to him and he said, I couldn't pass it. He said, I can't take this. I don't even know what this is. And so he was an educated man and he took it to several other people. And because of that test and coming to our school, he's now running for mayor. And that made me really, really happy because he realized that there were some things and education that they didn't understand. They, everybody knew it was the F rating, but when you look at the test, you go, yeah, I would probably contribute to that F rating. But we don't let that stop us. We try to grow our kids, um, help our kids as much as possible. And another thing um, about education that I want people to know is, and I, I, we say it all the time, that you know we give everyone the same test we give our special ed kids the same test we give our gen ed and we expect them all to perform the same and i think in education and classrooms we say differentiate differentiate but the test is not differentiated you know mm -hmm. not differentiated they don't give the test to the kid based on how they will perform so an education is a a, a mind thing almost where you have to continuously tell yourself not to give up. You do the best. And I always tell my teachers, do what you can when you can, but when you're doing it, do your very best. And I tell them that every single day, because we can't solve the world's problems. We can't solve education, but every little thing that we do attributes to the success of our kids. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could not agree more <laughs> With that, and I mean, speaking of kids, I know in Texas, football is um, popular to say the least. I have done quite a bit of speaking in Texas and some of the high schools, the football stadiums are larger than some college stadiums. And I think about, I think about that and I think of sports just in general. And then I think about the kids that don't play sports, that, that don't play football. What, you know, what kind of opportunities do you think that we need to add in schools for, for the kids that sports maybe isn't their thing or not something that they excel at? And I, I know that maybe, maybe a little bit more of a high school, middle school thing, uh, Belinda, but I think it's an important conversation in general. And I think about that as a, as a principal also, because I love sports, but I'm constantly trying to think about, okay, the kids that that's just not their thing. What do you think about that? And what do you think that we as educators could be doing and talking about to make sure that we, we find those passions for the kids that sports are just not their passion? Yes. I love that question too. Um, when I was my first chance at being an administrator was during a title one summer school, and every assembly, we had an assembly every morning and I got a group of people um, to come in and speak to the kids. Some of them had degrees, some of them didn't. Like they met a martician, they were able to ask the martician, you know, how much do you get paid to touch a dead body? You know, kids. And so we had a martician, we had someone from the food bank, we had um, the manager of Buffalo Wild Wings that dropped out of school and they told him he would never be anything. And he has all these restaurants. He's a man and he didn't finish school. He actually dropped out. Um, 
Another thing I would absolutely love, and I wrote a proposal for that in my school district, so if anybody is listening and would love to see this implemented, I would love to do it at my school, is a STEAM school with science, technology, engineering, art, and math. And the kids come to school solely for that, nothing else. So it's career-based at a very young age where they start exploring things to see where they want to be and start giving them ideas and even bringing in recruiters, but not to recruit elementary, but just so they can see the Navy, the Army, the Reserve, the National Guard, Coast Guard, so that they can see all of that, but incorporated into a STEAM school. We don't have traditional math, science, social studies. I say we, we, we don't, but my, my dream is that they wouldn't have traditional math, science, those things. They would just go in and everything would be career-based, but centered around STEAM so those kids can start tapping into, yeah, I like this. This is what I want to do. And they rotate around in each one of those classes, the science, technology. And once they find one they like, that's where you go all the way through fifth grade. If art is your thing, everything you do, your math, your science is based around art. I would love that. Yeah, I love it. And I'm, I'm so glad that you talked, that you said STEAM and not STEM, mm-hmm. because I think the A in STEAM gets dropped off way too often. STEAM arts, the arts are important and they are important to so many of our kids. And we have, we have to put them in there, uh, hands down. So, um, I love it. Talk about, talk about mentorships and talk about the mentors that you've had in your life, Belinda. And I'm constantly talking to people about mentors, make sure that you have a mentor or mentors in your life. What is your experience? What's your kind of, what's your stump speech to other aspiring leaders or new leaders with about the importance of having a mentor? Okay. So importance of having, I'm writing this down so I don't get sidetracked. Mentors for me, there weren't many educated people when I was growing up, Adam, honestly, they were just Hmm. smart people. They just had common sense and the will and the survival skills to live. And so my mentors were not people from college. They were not. Um, People that had an education normally said things to me like, you don't want to be like them, do you? So that wasn't because the people who wasn't like them, that weren't like them, were family. So I couldn't, I didn't look down on them. I didn't know any difference. So that was a turn away. It was the people that were in the trenches and didn't have an education that were surrounding us that said, you don't want to be like me. This is what I want you to do because they understood their, their deficits. They understood why they couldn't excel. And so those people, and I know that sounds weird, but they were the ones that I listened to and I knew that I needed to go to school and my mom had sent me, I flunked out. Uh, that's no secret. And she said, when you go again, you'll pay for yourself. And I had to join the military because nobody had the money I needed to go back to school because I had messed up my grant and my loan, my loan by flunking out. And so I joined the military and I um, got the MGI bill. And that's how I got my bachelor's and later my master's on my own and then my doctorate on my own. But that was something that, and you can have as many mentors as you want, but it has to be within you. So some people have to go in and I do a lot of self-reflecting. They have to go in and look at themselves before they can accept someone else's point of view. So the mentorship is two ways. 
You can have the best mentor, but if you don't want it, you don't have that drive and you haven't realized that, hey, I do need work, a mentor will be null and void. It will just be a waste of both of your times. Now, what I would tell the importance of having a mentor, that one thing, so you can grow because we think we have it all together. But if you move, Adam, if you came to my school and I went to yours and let's say as you got every, you have everything the way you want it and we swap places, you will come to my school and go, oh my God, I didn't even know that. And I'll go to your school and say, oh my God, I didn't know that. So the mentor, the importance of having a mentor is so you can grow. Listen to them when they give you constructive feedback. Don't think they're being mean. Don't think they're being ugly. Listen to them and then sit back when you go home, sit back and look at yourself and say, I wonder if anybody else sees it. And I was, I sent out surveys to my staff all the time. And most of the time, if there's a deficit, it's a, a majority of them that feel the same way. And when it's like that, you need to fix it. So having a mentor and assessing your staff, assessing how people around you feel, assessing how you make people feel is crucial. And then listening to your mentor and actually taking in what they're saying is the most important thing. You know what I think would be awesome if there was a national program where we switched schools for a week and you mm -hmm. came to be principal at my school and I went to be principal at your school or I came to shadow you for a week, Belinda, and then you came to California and shadowed me for a week because I'll tell you one thing, I was sheltered living in California and I think every everybody's sheltered in some way. There were so many things that I didn't know that I learned about schools and leadership until I started traveling as a speaker and as a consultant, because I was just used to the way that we did things in California, because you know what you know, and it's hard to get out of your box because you have a job and you go to work. And how, how would I know what you're going through or what you're dealing with? But I can't tell you, I've learned so much just by visiting schools, by talking to principals. And that's why I have this podcast to learn from people and to see that there is another way to do thing to do things to your point. Like I'm going to be dialed in at my school and you're going to come and you're going to learn things. And then you're going to mm -hmm. maybe make some suggestions and I'm going to learn from you and then vice versa. So mm -hmm. um, I think that would be a super, uh, super fun program. We'll have to continue that conversation online, uh, offline. And we can also, I can read my favorite picture books to your kids and you can read your favorite picture books to, uh, to my students. So it would be a good trade, Belinda. Uh, part of this podcast, Belinda, is amplifying the voices of my guests. So I'm going to pass the microphone over to you. What would you like to say to all the people across this country, aspiring principals, assistant principals and principals? Uh, what would you like to say to them? Well, one thing that I like to say is several things, but one that really sticks out is, well, two that I'm going to say. My teacher, brand new this year, new to education, told me something the other day. I'm The other day, I'm a yes lady. I say yes to everything. And then I sit back and I go, oh, God, I can't even do that. Why did I say yes? And so it's hard for me to say no. And Mr. Mintz is his name. And he said, Dr. George, do you know that no is a complete sentence? And if you have to explain why you said no, then you answer them correctly. Change my whole life. Change my entire life. So as administrators, we need to learn to say no. And those that say why, you gave them the right response. Um, because you shouldn't have to explain why you said no. It should be something that's accepted. The second thing is, 
I say this, if I bring it home, then it needs to be dealt with. If I bring it home and I'm on cloud nine that, you know, Adam did something well at my school, I need to go first thing in the morning and make it known, whether it's announcements, whether it's in the Google Classroom, whether it's sending him a card or text, whatever, I need it to be acknowledged. I need it to be addressed. If it's something that I bring home and it doesn't feel good, I cannot, um, I cannot just say that I don't, I'm not sure if you're still here, Adam, but I'm going to keep going. Even though they're not, I kept going, Adam. I wasn't sure. Okay, good. You kept going. Hopefully it'll, uh, it's recording still. I'll have to edit okay. this out. Okay. Okay. Um, so I was saying that uh, if you take it home and it's positive, then you need to address it. Acknowledge the person the next day. If it's negative, then you need to address it. You don't sit on it. You address it. And it doesn't have to be paper, pencil, but it needs to be addressed. Because if you bring it home, that means it needs to be addressed. And so that's something else that I've started doing. And that helps a ton. I love it. I love it. Belinda George, this was a hard podcast to schedule. You're busy. I'm busy. Our paths were crossing. And I'm so glad that we finally got the chance to sit down and talk. Thank you for all the work that you do. Thanks for putting your message out there. Thank you for tirelessly working for the students at your school and in your community and everybody listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Leave a review write a rating, share it with your principal friends. And uh, I hope that you have an absolutely amazing day.